What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. things I love to experience personally. I love to see it displayed in movies. I like to read it described in books. And uh, I love to hear it communicated in people's lives or uh, when negative things are turned into positive things. You know, you could be having this negative illness in your life, something quite severe, and you know, you can just think, man, there's nothing good that could come from this, but through that time, you're drawn closer to God, uh, your relationship with Him grows, and, and all of a sudden, through all that, that negative thing, God uses to bring a positive thing in your life. You know, one of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans, and uh, one of the reasons I like it is because it's uh, based on a a true story, but the real heart of it is because I love the story of something that's very negative that turns into a positive, and you know, the the negative thing is that there is racism between whites and blacks, and and the positive thing is is this football team who is in a school that is, you know, forced to integrate blacks and whites together, ultimately overcomes their racism towards one another, and they learn to love each other. They learn to become brothers, and uh, it's just a great story, and it's great that it's uh, based on a true story, and it's a movie that many Americans uh, would benefit from watching right now. Uh, I'm sure that all of us love to personally experience in our own lives when negative things are turned into positives. I know you probably love to hear testimonies of other people when they share of negative things in their life that God turned into a positive, and if that's a story that you like, then you're definitely going to like what... Jesus shares with us here at the end of John chapter 16. In the verses we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is going to share five negative things that can be turned into positive things. He's going to share how ignorance can be turned into knowledge, how sorrow can be turned into joy, how needs can be turned into answered prayer, how being alone can be turned into not being alone, and how tribulation can be turned into peace. You know, what Jesus shares here in these verses that we're going to look at is very timely for us with all that's going on in our country right now. There's a lot of ignorance, sorrow, needs, loneliness, and tribulation that's transpiring right now. And and one of the most recent examples of this is the ignorance and sorrow and needs uh, and tribulation surrounding the horrible death of George Floyd. The horrible rioting and and beatings and burnings that are also coming from the response to his murder. And there's a lot of ignorance of things that people are believing and saying about blacks and whites and cops and racism in America. A lot of ignorance in the way people have responded to the horrible murder. A lot of sorrow that people have had by just watching someone be killed by people that you would expect to protect them. A lot of sorrow by people watching their businesses burn to the ground and the rioting that's happening. A lot of physical, emotional, and spiritual needs that have come from these horrible events. A lot of loneliness that people feel because of especially the the visions that have come through all of this. And definitely a lot of tribulation 
that has come because of the sinful acts that we see. And this is just the most recent example. I mean, we have uh, things in our lives on a regular basis that bring us to this place where we have to deal with ignorance and sorrow, needs, loneliness, and tribulation. And so what Jesus shares about these negative things and how they can be turned into positive things is definitely very relevant to each one of us today. Because each one of us need to know how does ignorance get turned into knowledge, sorrow turn into joy, needs turn into answer prayer, being alone turned into not being alone, and tribulation being turned into peace. So let's start where Jesus starts off, where he shares with his disciples how their ignorance can be turned into knowledge. John chapter 16, starting where we left off last week in verse 16, says this. A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to my Father? They said, therefore, What is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Jesus here says something to the disciples that brought them to a place of confusion. This isn't something new. Jesus has shared a lot of things with the disciples that brought them to a place of confusion. They were unaware of what he was talking about. We would say that they were ignorant of what he was talking about. And the word ignorant just means lacking knowledge. It's typically used of people who are uneducated or untaught in a particular area. So it has nothing to do with how smart or how dumb you are. The smartest people in the world can be ignorant in particular things that they haven't been taught or haven't been educated in. And so here we have the disciples. They are ignorant to what Jesus means when he makes this statements. And now when we look at this and we look at this statement, we kind of think, well, I can get what he's talking about. But you know what? You and I have information that the disciples do not. We know how the story is going to end. We've read through the book, so we understand what's coming. And so therefore we look at what Jesus says and we can decipher what he means. But the disciples didn't have that same knowledge that you and I possess having read our Bibles. And so when Jesus says, a little while and you will not see me, and then a little while you will see me because I go to my father. They just were kind of clueless as to what he was talking about. But Jesus is just making a, a real literal statement. Literally in a couple of hours, you guys aren't going to see me because I am going to be crucified on a cross and I'm going to be placed in a tomb dead for three days. So in a little while, you're not going to see me, but then... In a little while, you will see me because we know the story. Three days after he's in that grave, he rises from the dead. And so they go from not seeing him to now seeing him again. And this is what Jesus is referring to and speaking about. And it makes perfect sense to us because we know how the story ends. But it did not make sense to the disciples because they do not have the knowledge that we do. They were ignorant about what was about to happen to Jesus. And so they didn't understand what he was talking about. 
Now, each one of us, you know, we're like the disciples in the fact that we have ignorance in our life. You know, we have many things that we are not knowledgeable about, especially in things of the Bible and things of God. None of us could say, we know everything that's in the Bible. We know all the things about God. You know, all of us have areas of ignorance, and we can relate to the ignorance here that we see in the disciples. And the problem the disciples have is really not the fact that they're ignorant. You know, they can't change that. That's not, you know, a, a, a sinful thing to be ignorant. They just need to be educated. Their problem is not their ignorance. Their problem is what they choose to do and how they respond to their ignorance. Notice how they respond to their ignorance in verses 17 and 18. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is it that he says to us, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to the Father? They said, therefore, What is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Notice how the disciples respond. They don't know what Jesus is talking about, and Notice who they turn to. I mean, here you have the source of knowledge, Jesus himself, the one who's speaking these things to you, the one who could explain them to you if you didn't understand. And so they don't understand. And what do they do? They turn to one another. What's Jesus talking about? What does he mean when he says this? You know, and so they start talking with one another. And notice that they conclude all of them don't know what he's saying. So now one of these disciples has a clue what Jesus is talking about, and that's kind of where it ends for them. You know, they're, they're just kind of trying to find knowledge through the ignorance of themselves instead of looking to Jesus, the source of knowledge, and they don't go to speak and ask of Jesus to give them more of an explanation to what he just said. Uh, and so it's interesting that they're just asking one another and not coming to Jesus. And this is something we see many times with the disciples. Oftentimes it's their own pride. They want to be seen by Jesus as understanding. And so he'll say something and they're clueless and they kind of just stay quiet because they don't want to raise their hand and say, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus, and look dumb. And so, you know, a lot of times they just, you know, they, they won't come to the source of knowledge. They just kind of talk among themselves and they stay ignorant. Because if you have a group of people who are ignorant of what Jesus is talking about, and the only people they're looking to for answers are other ignorant people, guess what? That's a great way to stay ignorant. And this is their problem. Instead of looking to Jesus, to the source of knowledge and asking him for answers, they just look to other ignorant people and don't get any answers. And I think this is something that we need to look at in our own lives, because this is often where we're at. You know, we don't understand things and we just come to other people who don't understand it either. And we kind of have these discussions and we come to this conclusion. Yeah, none of us know. And instead of coming to the source of knowledge, instead of coming to God himself, instead of coming to his word, we're kind of just left in this place of staying ignorant because we're only talking to ignorant people about a subject matter that they don't know about. And so if you want to know something, go to the person who actually has knowledge about that subject. And the end result when we do that is we just stay as ignorant as when we started. Now, Jesus does reveal that there's this desire in the disciples to know. Notice what he says in verse 9. Now, Jesus knew they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. In a little while you will see me. So the disciples, they got this desire. Oh, we want to ask Jesus because we're really curious about what he's talking about here. But, you know, probably their pride, like we've seen many times before, has kept them back from saying, Hey, you know what, Jesus, can you just tell us what you're saying? Because none of us get it. You know, none of us understand what's happening. And, and Jesus knows that desire is there. But notice, they're not the ones who initiate the question Jesus has to. Jesus knows it's happening. They're unwilling to say something. And so Jesus says to them, hey, guys, 
Are you asking among yourselves what I'm talking about? Do you want to know what I'm going to tell you, what I mean by this statement? Now, Jesus is going to go on and explain to them in greater detail what he's talking about. But the thing I want us to note here, first and foremost, is the first negative thing that can be turned into a positive, that you can go from ignorance to knowledge when you look to Jesus, the source of knowledge, and it's this. Ignorance can be turned into knowledge when we look to the knowledge of God through his spirit and word. You know, the disciples had God with them. They should have recognized that. They just should have depended on that. They should have looked to that. They should have asked what he was talking about. You know what? You and I have the spirit of God dwelling within us. If we have asked Christ to be our savior and we have the word of God given to us. And so we have access to amazing knowledge and wisdom from God. And we just need to look to him for that knowledge in all different areas of our life to keep us from being ignorant. Because here's the reality. We live in a world that is constantly trying to bombard us with how we should think, how we should feel about different things with news media, with social media. You know, there's this push of this is the way you should think about this situation and this is how you should feel about that situation. And we need to step back as believers and say, well, wait a second. I'm not going to be influenced by what the world thinks about this stuff, what people on social media think about this stuff. I need to look to what God says about these things. So that could be the thing that educates me, that gives me the information I need to come to conclusions about what I should be doing. Because, you know, we have a lot of people right now, and the big topic in the world today, at least America, is this issue of racism, and you're going to hear it all over the news media, all over social media, you know, how you should feel, what you should think. But as believers, we should just come to the Word of God. God's Word has plenty to say about racism. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Acts 17, 26. And he had made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. You know, these verses make very clear every single person, no matter their skin color, no matter their ethnicity, no matter where they were born, has the same value and the same worth. Why? Because we are all created in the image of God. And we're all of one race, the human race. Guess what? We can all trace our ancestry back to Adam and Eve, or you can go back to Noah if you want to deal with that. But the reality is, you know, we are all of the same value and worth because we all have been created in the image of God. So when we discriminate against someone, when we view them as less than us because of the color of their skin, that's completely unbiblical and against what the Bible teaches. And the Bible makes that very clear. James 2, 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin or are convinced, convicted by the law as transgressors. 1 John 2, 9, He who says he is the light and hates his brother is in dark, darkness until now. You know, when you don't love others as yourself, but instead show partiality, but instead look down on them because of the color of their skin, the race, whatever it may be, the Bible's very clear, you're in sin. You're walking in darkness. That is not something that ever a believer in Jesus Christ to do. We should never be demonstrating racism to anyone. 
Well, what about our response to it? Because that's the real big talking point right now. How should people respond to racism in the world? You know, there are those that say, you know, peaceful riots is the way to do it. Others are saying, well, that's not going to be heard. We need to loot. You know, we need to burn things down. We need to do this. And you kind of have these different groups saying different things. And once again, as believers, instead of just listening to all that and basing our opinion on that, we should say, well, what does the word of God tell us? How should you respond when racism is something that you face? Well, Romans 12, 17 through 21 gives us a great way to respond. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The biblical response to racism is not, hey, when we see this evil, let's overcome it with more evil, because that's what's happening when you see the people burning down buildings, people doing the different things. You know, they're thinking, well, oh, I'll overcome evil with more evil. No, that never works. You want to overcome evil, you've got to overcome evil with good. Martin Luther King Jr. shared a similar sentiment. He was a believer in Jesus Christ, and he shares basically what Romans 12 is saying, and he brings it in a different way. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He understood, you know what? You can't drive out evil with more evil. You can't drive out hate with more hate. You've got to drive out hate with love. You've got to have good over evil in order to impact what's happening in our world today. You know, I think one of the best things that you can do right now with all the media sources trying to tell you how to think, trying to tell you what to think, trying to tell you how to feel, a great thing to do with everything that's going on is just turn it all off, get in your Bible, look to the Word of God, pray. You know, I'm not saying that you never listen to media sources, you never watch social media or do the things, but you know what, just take some time to step away from it all and say, you know, what does God's Word say? Because I guarantee you, you're going to walk away from time with God's word with a lot more knowledge than you are going to take from the news media and social media of the day. And this is something that as believers, we just got to get in the regular habit when we're being bombarded with information to say, you know what, I don't want to be ignorant to what God says. And so I'm going to come to God's word to find out how I should respond. I'm not going to base it on what the world is telling me to do. So the first negative thing that can be turned into a positive thing is ignorance can be turned into knowledge when we look to the knowledge of God through His Spirit and His Word. The second negative thing that can be turned into a positive thing is in verses 20 through 22. It says this, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. What Jesus is doing here is he's expounding on the statement that he just made that a little while I will see you, uh, you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. He's expounding on this statement that the disciples don't understand. And so what he's now doing is he's like, you know what, I'm going to share with you what you guys are going to go through. You know, as I go away, you're going to have an experience. And as I come back to you, you're going to have a different experience. And so here is what he reveals that it says, you know what, when I go away, 
when I'm dead in that tomb for three days, you guys are going to have a pretty rough time of it. When I'm dead, you're going to weep, you're going to lament, you're going to be sorrowful. Those three days are going to be some of the darkest days that you have in your life. It is going to be difficult for you. And so when I go away, yeah, you are going to weep, you are going to lament, you are going to be sorrowful. But let me encourage you that I'm coming back. After those three days, the sorrow of the disciples is going to be turned into joy. Why? Because Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Now, to help the disciples understand, how can someone go from such great sorrow to such great joy in a matter of just a little time, Jesus uses an illustration of a woman who gives birth to a child. Notice what he says. A woman, when he is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. You know, when it comes to time for a woman, the nine months are up and, you know, she's going to the hospital and now she's ready to deliver the baby and all the pain that is associated with that. You know, I was there at the birth of both Scarlett and Eden and I was there in the hospital room holding Jenny's hand and got to see, you know, the pain that she was going through with both of those uh, deliveries. And it was amazing to see the shift from sorrow to joy from that face of anguish and pushing as hard as she could, and now the baby is born and the baby placed in her arms and that face that was just like, this is the worst pain of my life to now this is the greatest joy of my life, looking at this baby before me was just amazing to see. And you know, another amazing thing, after all the pain that she went through, she wanted another baby. You know, after Scarlett was born, I'm thinking, after seeing that, this ain't ever going to happen again. But you know what? If, if I was the one, I'm probably sure that most of us men, if we were the one to give birth, it'd be like, all right, we're adopting from now on. You know, we're not going through that pain again. But Jesus is bringing up the joy that comes when you see that baby is so great that it kind of drowns out all that pain that you went through. That you kind of forget that because the joy is so great that it's like, hey, it's worth it. I, I want another one because of the joy that these babies bring to my life. And so Jesus is giving this illustration to show how you can go from great sorrow to great joy, especially when what produces your joy is greater than what produces your sorrow. You see, the disciples, they're going to have some great sorrow. And when they're in the midst of that, they're probably going to think nothing could bring me joy. Watching the man that I followed for three years be crucified and he's innocent and guiltless means seeing that and the sorrow that comes upon them, they're probably thinking nothing could bring me joy. But three days after that event, the joy that's going to be given to them because of the resurrection of Jesus is going to be greater than the sorrow that they had connected with Jesus's death. And that's why he says in verse 22, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Notice that Jesus doesn't just say, you're going to have joy when you see me resurrected. But he says something even more important. That joy that you have, it's never going to be taken from you. And the reason that joy is never going to be taken from them is because their source of joy will never be taken from them. And that's the thing, that the resurrection and the truth of it is an eternal thing. And so that reality, what brings that joy in the resurrection of Jesus, it can't be taken. You can be beaten, you can be killed, but you know what? That can't be taken from you. And so that source of joy is always available for believers in Jesus Christ. I think something important to understand is what produces your joy 
If what produces your joy is greater than what produces your sorrow, then you're going to be joyful. But if what produces your sorrow is greater than what produces your joy, you're going to be sorrowful. And that's the reality of it. For example, if you love birthday celebrations, you just couldn't wait for it. They, they brought you so much joy. Every year you got to celebrate with family and friends. But then you had a loved one. Maybe it was your spouse, your parents, your child, and they die on your birthday. Now all of a sudden that birthday has a different meaning. And that joy that used to have as you, you know, got to celebrate on that day no longer brings you joy. Why? Because the sorrow of that day is greater than the joy. The sorrow of losing that loved one has become greater. And so what used to bring you joy now brings you sorrow because the sorrow is greater than the joy. But the opposite is also true. If the joy is greater than the sorrow, like Jesus' resurrection versus his death, then that joy is going to outweigh the sorrow and you're going to be able to continue to have joy. And the important thing for us to understand is our greatest source of joy should be the resurrection. You remember on Easter, I did a teaching about the eight things we can be confident in because Jesus rose from the dead. We can be confident in the credibility of the Bible, the credibility of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, our salvation, our faith in Jesus, our hope in heaven, the assurance of God's judgment and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the resurrection is the most important thing for us as Christians, and it should bring immense joy to us because of all that's connected with it. I mean, that relationship that you have, the hope of heaven that you have, all the blessings of God in your life, it all comes back to the fact that Jesus conquered death by rising from the dead, conquered our sins, and made it possible for you and I to have a relationship with him for all eternity in heaven. Which brings us to the second negative thing that can be turned into a positive Sorrow can be turned into joy when that joy comes from the resurrection. Remember, the joy of the resurrection, that can't be taken from you. So no matter what you go through, no matter how bad life gets, no matter how difficult things are, the joy of the resurrection should be, for you and I, greater than the sorrows of life. And so because of that, we should be able to continue with joy, not happiness, because happiness is completely based on circumstances. And if our circumstances are horrible, we're not going to be happy. But you know what? You can still be joyful. It's a choice to make because of the connection to joy we have with Jesus Christ and all he's done for us and all he will continue to do for us in the future in heaven. And since our joy is greater than our sorrow, we can remain joyful in the midst of sorrow. The third negative thing that Jesus says can be turned into a positive is in verses 23 through 28. It says this. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in a figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in a figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father." In these verses, Jesus shares some very important principles for the disciples about prayer. And he wants them to understand prayer for you, asking of God, is going to be different now that I'm leaving. 
I'm going to be going, I'm going to be going back to heaven and then the Holy Spirit is going to be coming to indwell you. But the way in which you pray now is going to be different than it has been with me in your presence for these last three years. And so Jesus wants them to understand what the difference is. In that day, speaking of the day that he departs and he goes back to heaven, you will ask me nothing. You know, Jesus is saying, hey, right now, you guys ask me anything you want. I'm with you. You got a need, you come to me. You know, you can talk with me. You can ask me of these things, but I'm going to depart from you. And that's what he goes on to say. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So Jesus is saying, here's the difference. When I leave... You're no longer going to ask things from me personally. Jesus, we need this, we need that. Now you're going to be asking the Father, but you're going to be asking the Father in my name. So the authority to talk to the Father, the authority to have the privilege of this prayer relationship with the Father is based off of me. And this is the thing that Jesus knows what he's about to do. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die for the sins of the world. And one of the blessings that comes from that is access to the Father that no one had yet. Access to God because Jesus deals with the thing that separates us from God, which is our sin. So he says, I'm going to go pay for that sin. And you guys are now going to have an access to the Father you've never had before. And you can come to him and you can speak to him and you can pray to him and you can ask for him to meet your needs. And you do it in my name because it's all being because of what I have done that makes it possible. And that's why Jesus emphasizes doing it in his name. He's the one who gives the access. You now have authority because of Jesus. So when you finish your prayers, I'm sure many of you do, in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, maybe you don't even think of why I say that. I was just taught that's how you're supposed to do it, so I do it that way. Well, there's actually a purpose in that. That when we're saying in Jesus' name, we're ultimately saying, hey, we're asking the Father to hear and answer our prayers in the same way that he would hear and answer the prayer of Jesus Christ. It means we're praying in Jesus' authority, not on our own authority. We're praying based not on our own works and our own merit, but on the works of Jesus on our behalf, saying it's through him we have access, we have authority, we have merit, we have everything. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus because he has made it possible for this privileged prayer life to even happen. And Jesus says, when we ask that way, notice this, we'll receive what we ask that our joy may be full. You know, another thing that brings great joy to your life is taking the sorrows and the pain and the hardships you're dealing with, bringing it to God the Father because you have that privileged access, because you've accepted his son, and the answers of prayer bring great joy to you and I as God gets us through the difficulties we go through. You know, one of the best things that you and I can do in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering, is to pray. And throughout your prayer, God can help you going from sorrow to joy. Notice Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you in a figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in a figurative language. I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Until now, Jesus has been praying ultimately for the disciples. But now the disciples are given the privilege of praying to the Father on their own. 
And notice what Jesus says about the Father. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from him. Because the disciples believe in Jesus, because the disciples love Jesus, Jesus says, the Father loves you. You don't need me now to be that person who prays on your behalf. You can pray straight to the Father because your belief in me has brought love from God for you in this privilege of prayer that you now have. So whenever you have a need, you can bring that need to the Father through the authority of Jesus. Which brings us to the third negative thing that can be turned into a positive. Needs can be turned into answer prayer if we will ask the Father in the name of Jesus. I mean, the reality is, I mean, just look around the world. There's so many needs we have personally, so many needs that we see in the world today. And one of the best things that we can do is come to the one who actually has the power to meet all those needs. You know, sometimes we look to politicians, we look to this group or that group, and many of them are incapable of meeting the needs that people are facing, but God is not incapable of it. And so the, one of the best things we can do is come to the one who's all-powerful and say, Lord, here's my needs, here's the needs of the people I love, here's the needs going on in my world today, and I want want you to meet those needs and to trust that he can do that as we come to him with that. The fourth negative thing that Jesus says can be turned into a positive is in verses 29 through 32. His disciples said to him, see now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we're sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet, I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. So Jesus now starts speaking plainly to the disciples. Earlier on, they kind of thought, you're kind of using these riddles of going and coming. And, and he speaks plainly. And notice their response to this plain speech. They say, oh, we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. What a great statement from the disciples. Oh, man, it was like a great statement when Peter said, hey, if all of these guys walk away, deny you, I won't do it. Great statement. The problem is Jesus knew the heart of Peter when he said that and what would happen just a few hours later. And Jesus knows what's going to happen with disciples just a few hours later. So when they say, man, we just totally believe. Like, that's nice to hear, guys, but I got some news for you. Just like I shared with Peter when he said, hey, these guys could abandon you. I never will. He says, you know what, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Well, now he's going to say something to all these disciples that are going to be hard for them to hear because they're saying, oh, we now believe. This is so great. And Jesus is like, yeah, actually, I know What's coming? And he tells them, all of you are going to be scattered and you're going to leave me alone. And just a matter of an hour from this moment right here, Jesus is going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples are going to be with him. Judas is going to come betray him and bring a bunch of soldiers with him. Those soldiers are going to arrest Jesus. And guess what all the disciples are going to do? They're going to scatter and run away and leave Jesus all alone. Jesus knows what's coming. He tells them of this reality. In his greatest time of need, those closest to him abandon him. He's all alone. But yet Jesus wants them to understand, I'm not really all alone. He says, yet I'm not alone. Why? Because the Father is with me. Even though all you guys are going to leave me, guess what? The Father's not. You guys are going to scatter, but he's not going to go. He's going to be with me. When everybody else is not with me, he stays with me. The Apostle Paul had a very similar situation in his own life. 2 Timothy 4, 16-18 says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, 
may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. At the end of Paul's life, he is on trial for just following Jesus, preaching the gospel. He has planted church after church after church. There are just thousands of believers that he personally shared the gospel with. And when his life is on the line, he says a really sad statement. Nobody's there. Nobody's with me on my trial. Nobody's standing there with me. No one's supporting me. I'm all alone here. But yet, just like Jesus would say, I'm not alone. Because the Father was with me. God was with me. He didn't abandon me. He strengthened me. He delivered me. Even though no person was there, he always was there for me. Hebrews 13.5 gives us a wonderful truth. For Jesus himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm sure that you have experienced, you know, a friend, a family member, maybe even a parent leave you. Someone that you would expect, we would never do that, and they do that, and it's just so hard. But you need to recognize, God's never going to do that. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You'll never be alone because he's always going to be with you. Which brings us to the fourth negative thing that could be turned into a positive. Being alone can be turned into not being alone when you trust in Jesus. When Jesus is their Savior, when you put your trust in Him, guess what? He will never leave you or forsake you. He will always be with you. And it's one of those wonderful privileges of having that relationship with a God who never abandons His children. There are times we feel all alone in this world. And it's at those times we need to remember, that's not the case for me as a believer in Jesus. God is with me. He'll never leave me. So let that bring you comfort and joy. The fifth negative thing that Jesus says can be turned into a positive is in verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Here Jesus shares two very important truths. The first truth is a negative truth. The second truth is a positive truth. And they're both realities that we need to, to recognize and understand. The negative truth is in this world that's full of sinful people, you and I are going to have tribulation. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be death. There's going to be all sorts of problems because we live in a fallen, sinful world. That is a truth that we must understand. In this world, there will be tribulation. But you know what? There's a positive truth as well. And the positive truth that Jesus says is, you know what? In Jesus, you can have peace because he has overcome this world. The world brings us tribulation, but Jesus brings us peace. And the reason he can offer peace is because he has overcome the world and he overcame the world at the cross. He took the sin of all the world upon himself. He took the judgment of God for the sin of the world on himself. And in doing so, he was able to overcome the world and offer us peace in two very vital ways. Peace with God and peace with one another. Because before Jesus went to the cross, we were enemies of God. Before you accept Christ, you are enemies with God. And Jesus has made it possible that an enemy of God can have peace with God because he dealt with the thing that separates us from God, which is our sin. Romans 5.1 tells us, Therefore, 
having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, it gives you that peace with God that you never had before. But you know what? It's not just peace with God. It's also peace with others. Ephesians 2.14, For he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace and has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. You know, at the temple, there's this middle wall of separation that separated the Gentiles and the Jews. And Jesus, ultimately, in what he did, he broke down all those barriers and said, you know what? In me, there's peace because now there's no, neither Jew nor Gentile, free nor slave, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. And Jesus brought this peace not only between God and man, but also between man and man. The only way that you can have peace like this is by accepting who Jesus is, that he is God, by accepting what he has done for you, that he died on the cross for your sin, and he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death for you. Now notice Jesus did not promise peace to everyone. He says he offers it to those who will accept him. He says, in me you may have peace. It's not everyone's going to get it because I died on the cross. No, in me, if you choose me, peace will come. You reject me, you won't have this peace. It's only for those who make a choice to accept who I am and what I've done, and then they can have peace with God and peace with others. You know, the world is seeking peace desperately, but the reality is they're not going to find it anywhere except in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the fifth and final negative thing that can be turned into a positive. Tribulation can be turned into peace with God and others only through Jesus who has overcome the world. If you want peace with God, you want peace with other people, there's only one place to truly find lasting peace, and that is in a relationship with Jesus. You know, you look at our country right now, they're in a desperate need of peace. We're divided in some pretty powerful, strong ways. And they're not going to find peace through protests. They're not going to find peace through riots. They're not going to find peace through police reform and new laws. The peace is only truly going to come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is why the response of believers to all that's happening in our country should be first and foremost to preach the gospel. Because the real heart of the issue is a spiritual problem. People are lost and need Jesus. The reason there's racism, the reason there's hatred, the reason there's looting and murder and all these other sins that are transpiring is because people have not been transformed by Jesus Christ. And that's what they need. And we can try all these different laws to try to you know, mask the issue and try to you know, punish the problem. But you know what? At the end of the day, we're not solving it. The only way to solve it is to see people's lives be transformed through putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And that is why we need to be preaching the gospel to people so they can have that transformation themselves. In this world, there's a lot of negative things like ignorance, sorrow, needs, being alone, and tribulation. But in Jesus, those negative things can be turned into wonderful positives. Ignorance can be turned into knowledge. Sorrow can be turned into joy. Needs can be turned into answered prayer. Loneliness can be turned into not being alone. And tribulation can be turned into peace. You look around the world, you see it's full of negative things, and they're desperately in need of the positive that Jesus Christ brings to the life of an individual and to a community that's willing to accept him. And you and I as believers are called to share it Jesus with this world. You know what? That can be here in Pasadena, Deer Park, Laporte, Houston, or it could be somewhere else that God calls you to go. Wherever you're at, we have a calling to reach the people around us 
with the gospel. And I want to finish by having Ken and Leanne Crabtree come and share with us where God is calling them to, where they're going to go to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach people who need to hear the message of what he has done. And after they share with us what the Lord's doing uh, and how we can support what the Lord's doing, we're going to come up and have some time to pray for them, uh, and then we'll conclude our service. And so let's just welcome uh, Ken and Leanne up as they come and uh, share what the Lord's doing. Thank you. And thank you for that movie reference. I have a similar movie that kind of moved me the same way, Independence Day. But I do love Clash of the Titans. It's a great movie. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to share um, our burden for the people in Uganda. Lord, we just pray that um, just in the same way, supernaturally, you've given us this burden and desire to be there and and to share with them and to love them, that you would even now just fill this room with your presence, Lord, that we would be able to just communicate our love and our passion for the people there and um, just to kind of explain what you've called us to do. We just love you so much and praise you. Thank you for this opportunity. Father, we pray you'd speak through us and in spite of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So you got a lot of guys, you know us, but we, we've... We prepared this presentation, so we kind of want to go through and show you what we're doing, and I'll tr we'll try to be quick. Pastor Ro uh, Robert asked me, we'll do it in about 15, 20 minutes, and evidently people with diabetes have some type of seizure after a couple hours of not eating, so we'll, we'll try to be faster. Um, let's go to the first first slide. So we, of course, are Kenny Leanne Crabtree, We've been called to Uganda in our 50s. Um, we realized after striving to acquire um, the things that people typically uh, strive to acquire for the past 30 years of marriage, we were just feeling empty. We were kind of incomplete. And our children were grown, um, saved, and doing well. We, we had served in ministry for over 30 years. and. And uh, it seemed that the acquisition of stuff had begun to replace the zeal and excitement of our early years when we were just kind of broke and broken, just chasing Jesus and different teachers and um, uh, great teaching in different churches. And um, so we, we wanted to get that zeal back. And um, we got to the point where I guess you should begin to wind down and look at retirement, but God, God had other plans for us. Um, you see the next slide. And Leanne's going to read a Bible verse. It's, it's Isaiah 52.7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, our God, ooh, your God reigns. Our God reigns. I always say that. So the next slide is just kind of um, some of the children our daughter Savannah serves and some of the ones we've been called to love and minister to. Um, the next slide, uh, our daughter Savannah had been a missionary in Africa for a few years and her love for the people of Kenya and later Uganda was very inspiring to us. Uh, I guess Savannah had been in Uganda a little over a year and uh, Leanne went to visit. 
really the burden became more focused and the calling became clear while she was there. I see we were frustrated and discontent and God had given us a thirst um, and just we weren't satisfied. Even during the time period, I was losing some large contracts and a lot of good paying jobs, was bouncing around. And uh, we ended up losing our house. A lot of you guys came and helped muck our house out after the hurricane. But we continued to feel out of place. God allowed me to eventually replace most of those things, uh, actually all the junk with more junk. And even though um, we got more contracts, I left again, continued to really feel hollow. I had previously worked in Nigeria for several years, uh, 56 on, uh, 21 days off. It was kind of a love-hate relationship. It was very rough being away from home for that time period and um, being away from the kids, with Robert and Savannah. The poverty was incredible. There was a lot of sickness, malaria, typhoid. There was a militant uprising while I was there in the Delta. A lot of disease and death, but there was something about Africa. I just loved the people. That's another slide. Um, here's uh, some of the kids in Kids Club, Calvary Kids Club at Calvary and Tebby, and just you, you can see um, just how well they get packed in, and it's just a great atmosphere for teaching. And the following slide, it became very obvious our daughter needed help early on. What if became a gentle nudge? I think I remember talking to you while you were in Uganda, and I, I said, okay, you're ready to just sell everything and just move to Uganda. I didn't realize she'd say yes. <laughs> um, so we began to pray and seek the Lord, and he began to answer. Uh, he confirmed in our spirits and through the word, even messages from the pulpit became just uh, in incredible uh, urgings to go. I remember we had a guest pastor, I think Calvary Houston, it was Pastor Rick, and he was doing the altar call, was saying, please come forward, get saved, and, and he said, some of you may fear you're going to get called to Africa, I think it's what he said, and we were like, wow. He said, well, don't worry, just come forward, you, you don't have to go to Africa, and we're like, oh, okay, and then he said, but you may be called to Africa. I get choked up. Pastors and friends began to say, hey, you guys should go to Africa. And uh, it became apparent we should probably go to Africa. We started to set fleeces out, stuff we kind of figured, well, this would have to happen for us to go. And it happened. Um, we were realtors. Uh, Leanne's more of a realtor than I am. I just like the name realtor. So... <laughs> We knew the market pretty well, and we knew our house value, and we knew we, we would need to sell our house and everything to go. And Well, at the, at the time, the market was not that great, and we didn't, seem, we didn't feel like the price we would ask could be achievable. In fact, it did in a few days. It, was, uh, it sold for actually more than what we, we wanted to sell for. Well, not wanted, but we planned. And then something very strange began to happen. The buyers kept wanting to close earlier and earlier, which is just not very, uh, it doesn't happen a lot. And um, so the title company and everything fell into place and we kept going, okay, okay. And it was earlier and earlier. Um, the day we closed, the lender 
um, went to the hospital for COVID. And our buyers were quarantined. We couldn't have closed a day later. So it was a God thing. And, and I tried to inject doubt, I guess, where I could. I was pressing, just, you know, tell me um, you know, um, why I need to go. But he continued to press for me to say why I shouldn't go. Um, now Leanne gets to read, thankfully. One day an old man was walking down the beach before dawn, and in a distance he saw a young woman picking up stranded starfish and throwing them back into the sea. An old man approached the young woman, and he asked, Why do you spend so much energy doing what seems to be a waste of time? And the young woman explained that the stranded starfish would die if they were left in the morning sun. The old man explained, But there must be a thousand starfish. How could your efforts make any difference? And the young woman looked down at the stranded starfish with her and in her hands, and as she threw it safely back into the sea, she said, it makes a difference to this one. Next slide. <clears throat> so that really kind of doesn't need an explanation. So why on earth are you telling me this? Good question. Um, our answer is we need you. Much like the starfish story, um, there are many needs in Uganda. Honestly, overall, it's very overwhelming. Um, sometimes a bird's eye view, well, I'm, if you're like me, the bird just should keep flying. It's, there's a lot to be done, um, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and the needs are great. So where do we start? Well, again, with the starfish thing, the impact of our mission, we believe, will be often one at a time. We hope to reach as many as possible in every given opportunity. It's going to be often like the rescue mission in, in the story. Jesus loves us so very much. So much, in fact, we were, he was born, beaten, crucified, killed, buried, and resurrected as a rescue mission to save us each individually. He knows us so intimately, the scripture says he knows the individual hairs on our head. So yes, because you, we, us, we're each personally worth his sacrifice. We've been called to go after these. We've been given this burden, this blessing, to reach the people in Uganda. Um, we're called to go after the one in hopes of reaching the many, as many as possible, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus, and we believe they're worth every cost. So you're probably thinking, we want something. So, yes, we do. Um, we very much want you to go with us, to pray for us, to watch us, to hope for us, to cry with us. Uh, I didn't realize I was a crier. <laughs> yeah, just very passionate about this. We really need your prayers. We need you to intercede when you're praying for your meals, and we need you to petition when you're on your knees. Here's another cheap uh, movie thing. We realize this all may seem inconceivable. Um, another, another next slide. Hopefully someone got that. This is Savannah. She's teaching in some of the orphanages that we'll be helping her with. Um, and so it's a privilege and honor to go to these places and, and just read to these kids. So we hope to join her and 
actually do even more than this. There are children without hope there. There's a cycle of single parents, orphans, unwanted children that in some ways feeds itself because survival mode is about getting through the day. And the church has done a great job sending things to Africa. Some of you guys have been and doing altar calls and, and in a country that's predominantly youth. However, there's, there's little discipleship. There's a need to become, um, you know, godly adults. And no one has the time to teach these, these young people or give them the biblical tools to become Christian adults. Um, so we want to help them to break cycles of unwanted pregnancy and the spread of HIV and uh, teach them what it is to be uh, husbands and wives from a biblical perspective. The next slide um, is uh, just kind of uh, pictures of the children that we, that we minister to. I just want to, Savannah is like the Pied Piper. When I followed her through the villages, the people just come, the kids come out and they just scream, Savannah, Savannah. It's really incredible. Um, I'm hoping to get to the point you can read so I don't get all choked up again. So again, our primary mission is the discipleship of youth and establishing, uh, instilling biblical tools that need to become godly adults. We'll be caring for those God's placed in our care and uh, all those we have access uh, to through local church ministries and outreaches, as well as assuring youth have the ability to read and comprehend by supporting Savannah's reading and teaching initiatives in the local school and orphanages and other opportunities. We'll be working with local ministries we've vetted for financial accountability and effectiveness, as well as military contacts we've made and the Red Cross and Red Crescent. We also have made extensive contacts there on the ground and we will make more. That's another um, picture of there of the classrooms. That's uh, the classroom where she teaches at in Covey Chapel in Tebby. Um, and then also we're going to be able to um, hopefully help alleviate um, some suffering by volunteering um, with the government and dis dispersing food, especially since we're, you know, in the middle of COVID still, um, as well as on Saturdays with Kids Club. Um, support medical mission teams and then um, disaster response. There's, uh, um, um, a a as elsewhere in the world, due to weather conditions and, and of course, this COVID thing, that uh, there continues to be, you know, flooding, uh, weather and, and fires, which, of course, people in poverty that have little and are trying to, you know, survive day to day, they're even more greatly affected by um, these natural disasters. So um, some of our contacts there uh, are working with the Red Cross and the Red Crescent, so we're looking forward to helping and in, in those areas where we can to, to, to bring the gospel to these areas and, and bring food. It's another verse for you to read. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And um, I've Put another picture in here, just kind of, again, that's Calvary Chapel and Tebby and um, um, Kids Club, so where we have the opportunity to um, gather children from the village and 
uh, many are Muslim and uh, are uh, not practicing Christians, and so we're able to do some activities, give them the gospel, and feed them, which may be the only meal they have the opportunity for. Uh, and so it's just a great blessing. We look forward to hopping in this and also recreating this at other church plants in, uh, in uh, Uganda. Finally, uh, I will open rivers in the desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make a wilderness, a pool of water, and the dry land springs of water. I think one of the, my, my favorite things about life there is in spite of the pictures that we tried to show you of conditions, there's great joy and people are very happy. They're just very beautiful. Um, okay, if another picture. Um, so we'll also be uh, doing a lot of one-on-one, going to people's homes and um, sharing meals and talking about Jesus. So I just wanted to include that. It's it's uh, it's a privilege to go and share, and especially in places where they just put so much into that meal, preparing it for you. And um, so we've, we're we're very privileged to be able to do that. Um, almost over the. Finally, the, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. We really, we're just here to ask for prayer. We want you guys to think about us this year and next year. We're going to be out of the country hopefully for a year and a half before we come back. Um, we've made a four-year commitment to the Lord, to Uganda, and... Um, we, we need prayer. We have no idea what we're doing. We're we just know that God's called us. We're very amateur. And <laughs> we're very immature. And, and, yeah, and amateur. I said oh, amateur. Oh, I said immature. Okay. okay, both. That too. Okay. And, um, but we're excited. It's we're really excited. cool when Jesus says for you to do something and you obey him. That's an that's a awesome thing. So we are blessed. We're excited that God seems to be going before us and opening a lot of doors for us and... Um, providing a, a way for us to do this. And so we're just anticipating um, just uh, um, a lot of uh, great things. And uh, although we know it won't be without attack and various other things. So, but we just really want prayer. And we want, also, we want to continue to share what we're doing because we think it's something really incredible. And we just want to show you how much uh, these, these, these people are awesome and, and how they need your prayer. That's about it, kiddo. We're supposed to, we have a plane ticket for July 13th again. Um, this is our second or third plane ticket, so hopefully COVID will stop that. And, um, yeah, just pray. Yeah, we should be leaving uh, in a few weeks, um, God willing. And then if not, we'll just... Uh, July 13th. Yeah, yeah July 13th. Okay. Cool. All right, well, God bless. If you have any questions, we'll be hanging around outside. Thank you for having us. And uh, uh, thank you, Pastor Matt. Ray and Colson, when you come up, we're going to lay hands and we just want to pray for them, pray for this ministry. And I'm just going to leave it open. Uh, I'll close this in prayer. But if you want to lift them up, uh, the ministry up, uh, also Savannah as well as over there, uh, I would encourage us to not just pray for them today, but uh, keep them in mind. Uh, they do have a table where you can get some prayer cards. I think a great thing to do, put it on your refrigerator so you remember. Uh, they have a newsletter sign-up sheet, so if you want to be uh, kept up to date with what's going on or learn how you can financially support as well, uh, that would be a big blessing. But let's just take some time to pray for them.